Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. I'll read it again. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, I say all that. I don't make excuse for uh, my study time or anything that's transpired. I certainly don't excuse that. And the Lord knows. He knows. He knows our schedules, and he knows what we deal with, and he knows the hours of sleep we get and the time that we're available, and uh, he understands that. But he's got a purpose for everything. I'm convinced of that, and that verse says just that. I'll clear up another thing, too, before we get started. I made a comment last week. I'm not really, really too... Uh, not that it needs mention, I think I was pretty clear in what I stated, but I had, uh, I was over there playing piano. I think Sister Carolyn was singing, I think Brother Danny sang a special, and there was another song I played, it was the Sunday night scene we had, and I couldn't remember the way anything went. I just couldn't remember, and I made a reference about, I couldn't remember the old rugged cross, and uh, that I was making that reference about me and not about Brother Danny. I, Brother Danny may have had some problems with the words, I don't know, but now I couldn't remember the way the song went, so I turned around there at Dad, and I said, how's that go? And he sung a little portion of it, and that's uh, that's pretty common for me. I think it happens to Dad sometimes. I don't know what that is, but, you know, they say something about being able to recall. Uh, the files are there in your mind, but just being able to recall them sometimes, it just don't work. But I was having a terrible night that night, but it all, uh, Sister Carolyn's song, I couldn't remember for nothing. Couldn't, nothing, nothing was there. And then when she started singing, she was actually singing a little bit over, and then I got it. And I said, oh, yeah, I got it. <clears throat> so it was just humanity. Um, the disc is full is what we call it, law enforcement. Um, I, I've been thinking about this, and uh, um, it kind of come together Wednesday night for me when Brother Andy made a mention of something that Brother, uh, um, uh, oh, his name left me that, um, said something about uh, service and, and what it meant and, and suffering and service, but Gene Smith, and uh, started to say Brett Cooper, but I knew that wasn't right. Um, but this verse has been on my mind, and another verse actually has been on my mind, and so they all come together Wednesday night, and I got to thinking. And so it's going to take the Lord to get us to the end of it, but uh, I'll read this again, and then we'll look at this other verse. Romans 8 and 28, the scripture says that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And we take that scripture exactly for what it means. All things work together for good to those who what? Who love God. Not to those who don't love God, but to those who love God. Everything in your life is working together for good to those that love Him. To those who are the called according to His purpose. Who, is, who are those that are chosen? Who are those that are called? Brother Andy tells us from time to time, it's those that answer the call of salvation. He chooses everybody. He calls everybody. But only certain few will accept that call. Those are the chosen those are the called according to his purpose. Now, knowing that truth, and as much as we're grounded in that truth, and we know that, the other scripture that's been on my mind is uh, found in Acts chapter uh, 9. And we'll turn there for just a minute.
So the Lord is telling Saul here on the road to Damascus where he's supposed to go. And the Lord speaks to Ananias about Saul, that Saul's coming. In verse 13, I'll back up. It says, Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said unto him, Go to Saul, for he is, chosen, he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And this is Jesus speaking. In verse 16, he says, talking about Saul, Paul the apostle, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So the two scriptures that's been on my mind are Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 and then this scripture we find in verse 16. I'll read them both together just so we can get a very good contrast to what we're talking about. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the call according to his purpose. And then Jesus tells Saul or tells Ananias about Saul in verse 16 of Acts chapter 9. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So Wednesday night, I take note. If you ever see me texting on my phone, sometimes I apologize. It is work-related. But a lot of times, it's me texting notes that some things that the Lord, I feel like, is speaking to me or some thoughts that he lays on my mind. And I was texted this Wednesday night. If we know that in Romans chapter 8, and verse 28, that we know that all things are working together for our good, but we also have the verse where Jesus tells Ananias that I will show him the things which he must suffer for my sake. How do we square the question, the last thing I texted, I believe, in that service Wednesday night is how do we square these two verses together? How do we square that we know that all things are working together for our good who love Jesus, but we also are presented with and are told throughout the scripture time and time again that we as Christians shall suffer. Why is it that we suffer? Well, a lot of times when you look at suffering, you look in First Peter and some other uh, scriptures that talk a lot about suffering. They're talking about suffering as a Christian, suffering uh, for the gospel, suffering with Christ. If we suffer with him, what does it say? We shall also reign with him. And in the context of these things, what you look at when you study that is it's talking about your suffering for your service for Christ, for you standing up and being counted and being a Christian and being vocal at the appropriate time and, and not afraid to back down from uh, conviction and not afraid to back down from the truth and what you stand for. It talks, the scripture talks and focuses a lot on that type of suffering, suffering for the gospel's sake. We know that the Apostle Paul went on to suffer greatly, maybe more than any one person in Bible times other than the Lord himself for everything that he went through and that he endured. He suffered for the gospel's sake. But you know what? It talks about, it gives us, he gives us just a little glimpse of not only did Paul suffer for Christ's sake and for the gospel's sake, but he also had a human element of suffering. And that's the type of suffering I'm talking about tonight. I'm not talking about suffering from the gospel's sake. I'm not talking about Christian suffering for service. I'm talking about how do we square human suffering 
the Christian's life struggle of suffering with a verse we find in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. It's going to be a very short message. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we have a verse that we often misuse. And I'll be honest with you, I've misused it several times. Because we paraphrase this verse down, and what we literally do is we actually take it out of context. The verse says in verse 13 in chapter 10 of verse Corinthians, it says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that ye may be also or you may be able to bear it. If you look at the preceding verses here in, in chapter 10, what the Apostle Paul is dealing with here in the church is he is dealing with temptation as it relates to fleshly temptation. The temptation of the flesh to be tempted to sin, to be tempted to step outside the will of God and sin. And when you read this verse for what it says, it says exactly what it means. It says that no temptation has overtaken us except that which is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with a temptation that you endure will also make a way of escape for you. We, we refer to it as a door of escape that you may be able to bear it. But what we do is we relate this verse to suffering. And I've said it a thousand times. I probably said it last month to somebody. I said, well, you know what the Bible says? It says that God won't put on us more than we can bear. It's not what the Bible says. What this verse says is that he will not tempt you. He will not allow you to be tempted. God doesn't tempt any man. But he won't allow you to be tempted more than what you're able to bear. When we talk about suffering and we think, we kind of paraphrase that verse, and I've done it, well, God's not going to put on us more than we can handle. We have to ask ourselves the question, do we really want to find that out? You really want to find that out? Because there's people under the sound of my voice, no doubt, in this church. There's families that have went through suffering, pain, agony, heartbreak, bitter heartbreak, time and time again, and, and are reminded of heartbreak and suffering, the things that they have went through in their life, that I heard a gentleman that I respect very highly just last week, he and I were in conversation, and you would respect him too if I called his name, but I won't do it to embarrass him. But he says, if I had to go through that right there, I just wouldn't make it. If I had to deal with that circumstance right there, there's just no way that I can make it. But we've got to come back to the verse. We know in Romans that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and for those who are called according to his purpose. So I would submit to us this evening before I read one or two final verses and we close that there has to be a reason why we suffer. Let's look at the origin of suffering and maybe it will help us to understand just a little bit. Genesis chapter 3. Why do we suffer? 
not for the gospel's sake, but I'm talking about human suffering. Let's look at verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. There was that tree that God had put in the middle of the Garden of Eden. I'll go back to that if it plays out, Brother Kirk. That he had said, this is the boundary that you don't cross. He says, the day that you cross it, he said, you shall surely die. There's boundaries all around us today as Christians and as, even as non-Christians that people really should take note of that will lead us to death everlasting, not life everlasting, but eternal death. It says in verse 3, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew what, that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. First time that Adam had ever been afraid. And I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded that you should not eat? And then the man said, The woman whom you gave me to be with, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And didn't we all? So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle. And more than every beast of the field on your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And we know exactly what that's talking about. And to the woman he said, listen, the origin of suffering, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And then, Adam's, and then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. The one thing that we find here in this scripture that resounds all through history, even in that last verse, that the word of God is true. The word of God is accurate. The word of God will come to pass exactly like God said it. They ate of the tree. 
They were cursed. They were uh, uh, separated from the Garden of Eden, the place that he had made for them to, to be forever if they so chose. But they chose to do differently than what God had instructed them to do. And so we see the origin of suffering. And we have this verse that we sometimes misuse. And we have Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 that says, We know that all things are looking, are working together for the good of those who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. So what is our answer? Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Very simple. Because I'm going to be honest with you. <clears throat> Sometimes I just don't get it, church. I'll be very honest. Sometimes I just do not understand circumstances. But I know that we live in a sin-cursed world. And I know that we live in bodies of flesh that cannot inherit the kingdom of God. I know that in order for us to see God, we shall have to die and take part in that resurrection as Brother Andy preaches about. We shall have to lay down these mortal bodies and take upon that immortal in order to see Jesus face to face. And as much as we go through in our lifetime and as much as we see the suffering of people. I thought about some things that happened at work the past few weeks and months and just couldn't imagine. And sometimes we don't even have the answer except for to say that we live, like Brother Andy says, in a sin-cursed world. But we do have an assurance found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And listen, whatever it is that you deal with in your lifetime and whatever it is that I deal with in my lifetime, they'll be separate, they'll be of great scale, they'll be of great magnitude, they'll be a great crisis, maybe only to us. But the thing about it is, is we're going to deal with it. Scripture says man's days are few and full of trouble. It's going to happen. It's going to come to us. The difference is, and the only difference, listen, that will even make a difference in our lives and will probably only make a difference whether we make it out of that trial or that turmoil or that time of suffering alive is these next few verses. Paul said, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, Jesus speaking, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. He did not say in this scripture, I'm going to make it right. I'm going to pull you from your suffering. I'm going to take you out of this problem and put you in a better set of circumstances. That's not what he said. We look at the things that we deal with on a life scale. We think about our prayer quest. We think about the people that are sick, people that have cancer, the people that deal with relationships uh, in their family. We can think of all kinds of situations. Think about my buddy up there in Dade County, the chief deputy in Dade, and, and how how good of a guy he is and how he was doing what he loved as far as his job was concerned, but also at the same time was probably doing one of the most dangerous things that any law enforcement officer would do, and that's 
getting beside a roadway of a car that's doing 90, 100 miles an hour that's already running from law enforcement and he's fixing to throw out a set of spike trips. You've got to be right there on the road beside that car that's coming by you to do that. And he's doing what's right. He's doing the right thing. He's, he's doing what he's supposed to do. And he steps up there and gets ready to throw them, and what happens? He gets run over. And the trial and time will tell whether it was an intentional, intentional uh, strike on the driver's part or not. But nevertheless, you know, he's life-threatening injuries. He's doing what he's supposed to do. We will not be spared from suffering. We've all pretty much lived long enough to understand that. But listen, the only thing that's going to make a difference and the only thing that's going to make a difference in my life and make a difference in your life is when God said, when Jesus said that His grace is sufficient for us. There is nobody that, listen, that can talk that into you and give you the answer of what that means except for the Holy Spirit of God. Only the Holy Spirit can convey to you how His grace will be sufficient. Does that mean that times won't always be rough? No, that's not what that means. Does that mean that it always won't get tough? Does that mean that it won't be more than we can bear? I don't think that's what that means. Because I think the way it's set up and the way that we deal with life and life circumstances, and I call them the curveballs of life, I told Brian, I said, you got pitched one of the big ones and she hurt her knee. That's more than we can handle. And it's set up for us to realize, Lord, I am needy. Here I am, poor and needy. And God, I'm coming to you. Will you help me? Will you help me? And it says in the scripture that he will make all grace abound to usward. But it takes us coming to that point where we're willing to receive the grace that he is offering to give us. If you'll stand with us, please. We'll go to the Lord in prayer for just a minute. You can come to the altar if you want to. I always.